the Sunday night message, but I did get to hear the Wednesday night message. And I uh, appreciate Brother Steve being faithful and filling in in my absence. That uh, It does, it puts a lot of pressure on Steve, and so I really appreciate his willingness to, to deal with it because uh, he has to work a full-time job. He's a full-time dad. And if you had his two girls, you'd know why he's full-time. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Eric. I'm just kidding. But uh, um, it, it, it's a lot. It's a lot to ask, and he did a tremendous job, and we appreciate the messages that he did preach. We, Peg was just uh, uh, mentioning this morning, it seemed odd. It, it seemed like forever since we've been in church because we missed Sunday night. But uh, I didn't miss Wednesday night. I didn't miss it. I wasn't here. But I was there, listening to the same message, amen, along the way. So appreciate uh, live streaming. Because if we had gone to a Canadian church up there, I would never have known a thing they said. <laughs> so when we got up here, Peg and I, we stayed glued to where we were. We let all the kids go out into the community and get mocked and jeered because they were English and didn't know French. I wasn't going to go out there and let people know that I didn't know any French. I did know a ret. I understood that. So when it's time to stop, I knew how to stop. And I, I understand Nord and Sud and Aston Quest and you know, a few things like that. So I didn't get in any trouble traffic-wise anyway along the way. But it was a good time, a good time of relaxation. We had a great time with our family members that were able to make it there. We did we had a really great time. So it's always, always great to get together with the family. And uh, it gets along. It gets along really well. And you don't have any family feuds or anything along the way there. And, uh, although we did have some contests. We did have some good contests there. So anyway, a wonderful, powerful song. It's an invitational song, typically sung. But I believe it's an invitation right now for us to listen. So uh, I didn't ask Dave to do this. Uh, I believe the Holy Spirit put it on Steve's heart to put that, that particular song right where it was to go along with the message today. Uh, the Complaint Department is the title of the message today. The Complaint Department, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. It's going to take us a little while to get there, but we'll get there. Either, either today or, or next week. But we'll get there. So... We look here and it says eventually we'll get to the main text this morning, the Lord willing. We're continuing to use uh, Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 25 as the launching point for this series of the Christian responses to life's events and issues. And Jeremiah wrote there, now we have to remember where, where Judah was at this particular time. Uh, Samaria had been carried off, or the, which is also not Samaria, but uh, Israel, which would have been the northern um, ten nations, had been carried off by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians had ransacked Jerusalem, but di didn't take them off into captivity at that particular time. But God was warning Judah to pay attention to what's happened to their sisters and their brothers of the ten tribes. Because he has Nebuchadnezzar waiting in the wings down below. And so he writes to them, he said, The Lord hath opened his armory. So God has made available to them the weapons that would be necessary from a spiritual and, and a uh, uh, physical sense to be able to turn their, turn their country and to turn their lives around for the Lord. And he said, The Lord hath opened his armory and hath brought forth the weapons of his indignation. For this is the work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. And so he was giving them ways to cope with life, to cope with the circumstances and the situations that they were facing. We were never meant to be losers. We were always meant to be winners. And in God's armory, he has all the tools that are necessary for us to become winners. We don't have to be subject to anger and uh, bitterness or anxiety 
or indifferences. We don't have to. Those do not have to rule and control our lives. Amen? Because in the army of God, God has given us the solution and the answers on how to deal with these particular aspects and others that we will deal with. So an army is where the weapons of warfare are kept and withdrawn when they are needed. God's army is equipped with uh, every tool that we're going to need to handle all our responses to events and attacks against us from the enemies of unrighteousness. And there is not a lack of the enemies of righteousness in the world that we live in today. So when Jeremiah, as I said, penned this verse, Judah was under the, under the, under the um, levy of the Assyrians and the Babylonians were a strong adversary waiting in the wings, so to speak. And it was time that when Judah needed to know that God had everything that they would need to deal with the situation and maintain uh, their godly responses and to continue to be in a right relationship with him. See, they weren't in a right relationship with God. Even, even though the Assyrians had levied and, and attacked and took the precious things and levied a, a tribute uh, that they had to pay uh, whenever they were told to pay it, um, God could have turned it all around. And so we live in a fallen world. But that does not mean that we have to stop uh, rather stoop to the fallen world's responses or to deal with ad- ad- adversity the way that they do. So as a redeemed of the Lord, God, is, God has a greater expectation of us because we have the knowledge. If so, we are in the Word of God. If you're not in the Word of God, then you are ignorant to the things of God. I don't like being called ignorant preacher. Then get in the Word of God. Because what you don't know, though you could know, and you choose not to, that makes you ignorant. Amen? So, I was there. I know. And there's still a lot of things that I'm not ignorant about, and I am learning as I go along. And I hope that you are too, learning and growing and, and uh, uh, gaining knowledge in the Lord. So, uh, God has greater expectations of us because we have the knowledge uh, in the Word of God, memorizing and meditating in His Word. But preacher, that's not a lot of fun. It's not a lot of fun to have to read the Bible and to study the Bible and to memorize the Word of Scripture. And besides that, I've got this thing I like to play with a whole lot. I have this uh, phone that I like to be on all the time. And I like to be watching these movies and all these things. Listen, you know what? All that time that you spend is going to amount to a hill of beans when you stand before Jesus Christ. All the time that we had to do those things. And we dedicate that time to those things and not a minute to the Word of God. How do you think that's going to play out at the judgment seat? Well, I was really busy. Yeah, I know you were busy. You were busy on your iPads. You were busy on this. You were busy on that, but you didn't have any time to read the Bible. So anyway, our responses, our responses of ignorance and or rejection of how God would have us respond in favor of a fleshly, carnal response. You know, some people just like to be angry. <laughs> Amen? I mean, they, they couldn't get up in the morning. Their, their heart would not beat and their blood would not flow if they weren't angry. And so, with this in mind, we will begin with Romans chapter 10 and verse 3. So let's turn there and we'll be back to Philippians. Believe me, trust me, we'll get there. But I think we have to preface this here so that whether what I've already touched on or what we'll touch on today and maybe in in the weeks ahead. And the Apostle Paul was writing to the Israelites in the time in the time of Christ. Now Christ had already had already died. He had already uh, been crucified. He had been buried. He had, resur- he had been resurrected from the grave. And he had ascended to the Father. And so the Apostle Paul comes with his knowledge and understanding of Old Testament Israel's history. 
And he's looking at the present situation and he writes there in, in uh, chapter 10 and verse 3 and he writes to the Jews, he says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to what? Establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. I am, I am convinced more than ever that this is where a predominant part of the body of Christ is today. They have not fashioned their lives after the righteousness of God. They have fashioned the righteousness after their own choosing or what they feel. And folks, when it comes to the Bible, you're going to have to check your feelings at the first, at the, at the, at the first time you open the book and say, Lord, I'm looking for the facts. I'm looking for what the facts are, not my, not my emotions. Because too many people are out there saying, well, this is what I feel, and this is what I think, and this is what I feel. Listen, I don't care what you feel. If it is not rooted and grounded in the Word of God, it doesn't make any sense. And so we're looking as a prelude that should have probably been about four weeks ago this morning. So, Father, I want you guide, I want you direct. Lord, this is not to, to be an insult. Well, it's a message that is to wake us up and to realize that, God, you have a standard. And according to that standard, you are that standard. Your righteousness is the standard of all righteousness. Not what I think, not what I feel, not what I would rather. But, Lord, I've got to surrender. I have to yield to what you have revealed about your righteousness and your holiness. It is our responsibility. And so, Lord, as we challenge one another from the pulpit to the pew and to those who are gathered at home, we pray that, Lord, your spirit would have free course uh, to speak to us, to challenge us, and to help us to, to see, maybe the light bulb come on, that we can no longer reside in this watered-down idea of what constitutes righteousness or unrighteousness. And Father, we'll give you the praise, whether it's to salvation or to rededication. We pray now in Christ's name. Amen. So the very first point this morning is the righteousness of God, as we've read in Romans chapter 10 and verse 3. When I was in the bank the other day discussing and passing the flood, that we have experienced this last week, one of the tellers stated, after I'd commented about it, he said, you know, it just isn't fair. It just isn't fair. And in my own inimitable way, I said, life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Now, it doesn't matter whether one is saved or not. We're all going to experience times when life isn't fair. Amen? People are going to say things about us that's going to hurt us. People are going to do things to us that, that surprises us and hurts us. Listen, just because you got saved, it doesn't mean that you, did, you didn't uh, throw your, your emotions overboard. Emotions are important. But our emotions are not to direct us in our lives necessarily. Certainly our emotions are not to determine what is factual and what isn't. Whether the facts are, are there to determine whether our emotions are valid or not valid. Or whether our emotions are over, are over the top. That's what the facts do. It brings our emotions into check. And so, we've, we've got to know how to respond and deal with those times and understand why God allows those things to come into our lives. When it comes to God's righteousness, He is the standard. Amen? 
What other standard is that? The Baptists aren't the standard. You're a good Baptist or a good Baptist church if, you're, if God's standard is, of righteousness is your standard. Amen. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just no different than anybody else when it comes down the pike. So he is a standard in and of himself and, and, and whereby we are to compare the exercise of our righteousness or what we believe to be righteousness. Because we may feel something is righteous or, or we have a right to do something when God says, no, you don't. And so in Romans chapter 10 and verse 3, the word they is the nation of Israel. And so they had, uh, we see that they had a zeal. Actually, let's go back to chapter 10 and look at verse 1. He said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That was the first problem. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. There's a lot of churches out there that are doing a lot of good things. They're giving clothes and they're giving time and they're doing things in their communities and on the world. It's a zeal. But they couldn't, they, they couldn't anymore tell you how to get saved than the man in the moon. And you have others that could tell you how to get saved, but they're not doing much in their community. So we have to reach uh, some place in our lives where, where we realize that the kind of zeal that God wants us to have is a zeal that has purpose, not only in our lives, but in our witness and our relationship to him as well as to reaching out to our community to bring the gospel to them so we can bring them into the house of God so they can also grow. And he says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. So now they had their traditions. Now a lot of their traditions were meant to help them uh, to, uh, uh, to comply with, with the law. But then like anything else, it kind of gets a little bit distorted over time, over a period of time. So the problem was their lack of knowledge. They had zeal but not according to knowledge. They're just going about doing what they thought was good or what they might have felt was good, but that's all it was. It had no redeeming value. In other words, they were going about establishing what they thought or felt would qualify for righteousness. And if you're not in the Word of God, then you don't know what qualifies or what does not qualify for righteousness. So the problem... With this was their righteousness did not reach the standard established by God. And folks, in the Christian life, that is the standard all, all across the board. Well, preacher, I'm a sinner saved by grace. It is not possible. At least you could be reaching toward the goal. You could be moving in that direction, amen. And you can bring into question your prayer time. Listen, uh, uh, Lord... Is this right or is this wrong? Should I do this or should I not do this? Should I get involved or should I not get involved? And, and Lord, what would you have me to do? What is your standard? What would you have me to do according, according to your righteousness? So, having no established divine pattern in mind, though God was clear, they set out and established their own and felt no need to find out if they were right or wrong close or far. And so we have to understand here that is that we may have a pattern in our mind, but God gives us his word so that we can have that pattern here, not imposing our pattern there on the word of God. So the Holy Spirit gives to them and to us straight up what divine righteousness is and what it looks like. They were ignorant, shamefully, willfully ignorant. 
Folks, let's get real. God has made sure that we have this infallibly preserved word in which everything that we need to know is recorded for us to learn and to apply to our lives so that we can become more like Jesus every day. Without this book, and certainly without the Holy Spirit of God, you're never going to be more like Jesus from one day to the next. It's not possible. So, God is not out to ruin our lives. But so that our lives are a true reflection of Christ and his righteousness. That's what he wants us to be, as we will see in Philippians. Holding forth the word of life. We walk around town with this up high, right? We take it to work, wherever we work, we do it high, we do it high. That's really not what Paul was getting to, neither here in Romans nor in Philippians chapter 2. But you and I, being a reflection of the book, you and I being a reflection of the person of Christ, let your light so shine before men that they may what? God working in us. And so... That we are to be a light in a very dark and a fallen world. And the darker the world gets, the brighter our light should shine. Now we're all familiar with Matthew, but let just turn back to you for just a moment. Do the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Now, such a simple truth. And yet as Christians we find it so difficult to practice. And, and he says there in, in verse 3, he said, Ye are the salt of the earth. Now you know what? I like salt on my food. Not a lot, but I like, I, I like some salt on my food. And it enhances to me the flavor. I think it activates the taste buds uh, on our tongues. And you know, I've heard people say, I don't have any taste any longer, maybe because of COVID or because of one thing or another. I've lost my taste. Eating isn't fun. Eating isn't enjoyable. You do it because you know you've got to do it. You should be the skinniest people on the planet Earth. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, you put a little bit of salt, maybe a little bit of pepper, so you can enjoy it more, so it, it, it's more palatable to you. And we had to be the salt. Listen, if the world is going to sample who God is and who Christ is, it's you, the salt of the Earth, that's going to accomplish that. So either you're a good witness or a mediocre witness or you're just a rotten witness. You've got to be one of the three. One of the three. So he goes on there and he says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but the salt, have, uh, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of them. Now if we're applying this to the gospel of Jesus Christ, guess what? If our gospel isn't real, if we're not living the message that God has for us to live as the children of God, then our lives and the message we have is worthless. That's basically what he's getting at. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. And he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, but not glorify you. Glorify who? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
knew that person when they were a scoundrel. I knew that person when they couldn't even walk a straight line. But now they're no longer living in the gutter. They're no longer beating up their family members. They're no longer wasting their money. And they're no longer getting drunk and drinking anymore. They're going to church and they're reading the Bible and they become right upright standing citizens a long way. And God made the difference. Amen. Because God always makes a difference. And so for Israel, they had to become their traditions and rituals for which Christ upbraided them for, he says, making the word of God of none effect. Through your tradition which ye have delivered, and many says, like things do ye. Mark chapter 7 and verse 13. So today, it is allowing our flesh to ignorantly place our ideas of what constitutes some form of righteousness to be sufficient to please God. Oh, preacher, I went to, I went to church a couple times this month. And preacher, I, I put a few dollars in the offering plate. And, and, and so on there and said, so what does that count? Well, if you're able-bodied and you can get to church every Sunday, get to every service on a regular basis, if every day you take a few minutes and read the Bible, you may not be able to read all five, six, seven, or three chapters that you read, but at least read a few. Some that you can take with you for the day. When was the last time you really prayed fervently and earnestly for someone? When was the last time you had a desire to really share the gospel with someone who was open to receiving it? And so we have this idea that I'm a good person. I don't beat my wife. I don't kick the dog. And I don't shoot birds off my deck. They come to my feeders. <laughs> and because all the things that maybe that we don't do, but the things that we do, and assume that is righteousness. That is not righteousness. They're good things to, to obviously do, but that's not a substitute for the righteousness of God that we ought to be clothed with. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. We can go there very quickly. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 is very, very clear. The prophet says, but we all, but we are all, is that all inclusive? All. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy. Now he's talking to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel that's in a covenant relationship with God. And, and God's telling them through, through Isaiah and he says that, that uh, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. We've turned our backs on trying to discover and, and through the scriptures what is the righteousness of God? What is the standard that God expects of me? And again, you, if you look over to Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what that means? That our righteousnesses fall short. Our righteousnesses are not on par with God. His righteousness has not become our righteousness. That's why sinners are not going to heaven. That's why sinners are who they are. Because they're not trying to achieve and attain to the standard of God's righteousness. And so when I come to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ, I am clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Now God has the expectation that me as an individual, my, respons my responsibility is to work out my salvation. Hey, wait a minute, preacher, aren't you saved? Yes, I'm saved. But the working out of salvation is to make sure that I don't come behind in my responsibilities as a child of God to God. That's what he talks about. 
Falling short. Romans 3.23, for all of sin come short of the glory of God. Listen, the glory of God is his holiness. Amen. The beauty of God is his righteousness. All of these things, all of his attributes, that's who he is. And righteousness, uh, we're to reach toward that. Be ye holy as I am holy. Be ye holy for I am holy. Twice in 1 Peter chapter 1. So Isaiah 64, 6 states that there is no cleansing power in our righteousness as does Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. There are a lot of people out there who are nice people, who are good people. Uh, and they, they may actually belong to a, a local church and so on. But they're assuming that because they go to church and because they pay their taxes and because they're a good citizen and because they're maybe a good dad or a good mom or great-grandparents, that that counts for righteousness. Well, it's the right thing to do, but it falls short of the righteousness of God. And so there is no cleansing power in our righteousness. And he says, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf. That's why we have to be in the word of God. That's why, especially in the day and age where we're seeing it, it's getting worse by the day, why we need to be in church on a regular basis because we need to be encouraged by the things that are being taught by brothers and sisters in the Lord to know that we're not alone out there, amen? Isn't it good to come in the house of the Lord and, and be able to sing praises to God with, the, with your brothers and sisters in the Lord? So Romans 3.23 tells us clearly that our righteousnesses fall short of uh, the glory of God, which in in is part of God's glory, is his righteousness. Our coming to faith takes care of our inability by clothing us in the righteousness of God. But again, as I said, comes the expectation, which brings us to point number two. Oh, boy. Well, Well, we'll get to it. Uh, our responsibility and God's expectations back in Philippians. In the past few topics of on anger and anxiety and bitterness and now complaining, we have learned that these are unacceptable responses to events of people uh, in our lives as Christians. So we have to understand that we have a flesh that will immediately respond in those things, but I believe it's, it's more natural than not. But we're talking about harboring, hanging on. Who are you angry at that you will, you will not forgive? Anxiety. What are you anxious over that it just seems like you go from one thing to the next and you're anxious? Bitterness. And now complaining. And so we may feel any one of these in a knee-jerk reaction. It is, however, wrong for us, certainly spiritually immature on our part, to hang on to these feelings or emotions for any length of time. What is, what is the action of the spiritually mature in these incidences? Forgiveness without conditions. Amen? Forgiveness without conditions. Well, I'll forgive you if you'll make it right. Forgive them if they don't make it right. Let God deal with the individual who, who won't do the right thing. You've done the right thing. You've got to pass now to move forward. That other they don't have it. And so, if any human understood this, the Apostle Paul was one of those individuals for sure. Second Corinthians tells us there in, in verse 23 of all the things that the Apostle Paul went through. Being shipwrecked and being beaten and being imprisoned and all the things that he endured. As an apostle. And never quit. Never gave up. But always sought to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. 
So notice in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. He said, make straight. Nope, that's in Hebrew. Sorry about that. Philippians chapter 2. And and, and he again says, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God doesn't want you to remain hostile. God doesn't want you to remain angry or bitter or, or as a complaining individual. I mean, sorry is the husband that comes home and complains about his wife. Or the wife who complains about her husband. Or the parents who complain about their children. And children who complain about their parents habitually. I mean, they're habitual complainers. Nothing satisfies them. And so... We are to do all things without murmurings and disputings. Now, how many things do we... How many things? At what threshold, at what level does it reach where we have a justification for any of these things that I've mentioned? There is no threshold, is there? And so, to maintain a personal right to carry on our murmuring and disputing is to establish our right or our righteousnesses. I am writing doing this because of what they said or what they did or what what the circumstances were. So, in doing so, we're, we're going to establish our own standard of righteousness while at the same time dissing God's righteousness, throwing it under the bus. A preacher, if you knew what this individual did or what this individual said or if you only knew the event, God knows all about it. And God still expects us to rise above it all. And so, in doing so, we fall short of God's expectation of us as redeemed of the Lord. And certainly, our testimony is no better than that of the unsaved and a failure to shine his lights. Because someone could, should be able to look at us and say, you know what, if I, if I were in your shoes, I would be so rip-roaring mad. I, you can't even get words out to say what it's all about. But see, what you've done is you've stepped up to the plate and you said, God knows all about it. My responsibility in this is to forgive and to move on. God will take care of an individual. You had an open door to witness. But if you said, yeah, you're right, boy, I know that. You know, you kind of get in that old gut. Yeah, you know. No, 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 no. So when we reserve the right for ourselves to constantly murmur or constantly complain, constantly dispute with others, we're not blameless, nor are we harmless. We're, we're placing that light under a bushel basket that we mentioned in Matthew. First of all, God has a different expectation of us and expects a different outcome. That we are without rebuke. No one can come to us and say, well, yeah, you never forgave me. If you get ahead, but you never give me. Or secondly, from those who know that we are Christians, but they are not. Yeah. I didn't see any difference between how you reacted to that. I don't see any difference in how you're acting in this particular set of situations here. Or maybe thirdly, living in a crooked and a perverse nation is not an excuse. Well, you know how bad the world's getting yet. Well, that means we get better. Not we don't get worse, we get better. And number four, you can put it right down if you want to a challenge. Yes. It is a challenge, but it's not an excuse. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, then make sure that grace abounds and sin does not. Amen? And so it is in such an environment that when we shine as lights, we shine brighter because 
a godly response to difficult circumstances is not what they are expecting. Yet, there you are, shining as a light of God's righteousness, and the darker the times, the brighter the shine and the brighter the value. And so the solution is to dig into God's armory of his grace and obey. The word of God is the part of God's grace. Amen? Prayer, access to God, is a part of God's grace. It's what we have as the children of God, access into the armory of God to know and to understand. And so the solution is to dig into God's army of his grace and obey. It is here that we find the strength and the power to overcome our flesh, Satan, and a sin-laden world. Taking up the righteousness of God and doing exactly what he expects of us. Ron, Ron Hamilton wrote in the chorus. And we're going to sing it. We're going to sing 514, Diane. 514 in closing here. Lord, we, we thank you for the time that we could be together. And Lord, we are definitely, absolutely, definitely living in a generation that has established their own standard of righteousness. And shamefully, the response is when preachers preach on things that people don't like. Even though it's biblical and all it's scriptural, they get angry. They get mad. I'm not coming back here again. I'm not going to do that. No one's going to tell me. And Lord, all the responses that you hear. And Lord, we have to come to that particular point in time. says, oh, I never thought of it that way. I'm going to get my Bible out and I'm going to research this out so that I, I can understand it even better. But Lord, that seldom is our response. It's a, it's a response of you're not going to tell me how to live my life. Well, Lord, it's not for me to tell them. Lord, it is for me to share what you expect of both myself and each of us here today. And so, Lord, as you know, the nature of the heart and the things that we're wrestling with, the things that we find very difficult to surrender and to yield, that, Lord, you're asking us, you're beseeching us to do just that. And, Lord, may this be the day that we begin to jettison all these emotions that have been a, a, a stain on our testimony. A stain and a weakness in our walk with you. And as the heads are bowed and as Diane's quietly playing on the piano, I'd ask you this morning with heads bowed and eyes closing at home as well. What are you hanging on to that God wants you to let go? What do you feel is a righteous standard that you cannot place anywhere in the scriptures? But it's one that you've fabricated. It's one that you've made up because it fits your lifestyle. If it's the way that you want to live your life or the way you want to act and, and react in life. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, you, you need to find out and discover what is the righteousness of God and then pursue it and make sure that you live it and that your life is a testimony of it. Preacher, would you pray with us in closing today? Pray for us today. Yes, I see hands here. I covet your prayers as your pastor as well. Preacher, pray for me today. I, I don't want to be a murmurer. I don't want to be a complainer. Now, I don't have to say all oh, sunshine and, and, and rainbows and butterflies and birds. But I don't have to give up my joy in the Lord and my righteous standing with Him in order, in order to survive in this world. Preacher, pray for me in closing. Maybe it's what you say, Preacher, I don't even know if I've got a home in heaven. 
Well, listen, that's where it all begins, amen? It begins right there when you when you uh, come to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ. If you have never done that, what a day that would be to do it today, amen? Whether at home or right here in the sanctuary, preacher, pray for me. I, I do not know if I've got a home in heaven, but would you pray for me in closing today? Preacher, pray for me. All right, let's stand. We're going to sing uh, hymn number 514. Brother Steve, if you